Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. We are back. Thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. Can you come up with something else yet? Uh, no, that is my intro. It's like you if you have an intro, you do the same intro no. and the same outro. Like the the you throw it to something, you close the show with something. It's the way it works. The way the cookie crumbles, Ryan. I just want people to vote if they like it or not. I think we need to settle this. <laughs> I think we need to post it on our Instagram story. Producer Vanessa, can you please make sure this happens? Because I think we need to settle. What if people hate it? Then we would know in real time oh. that they hate it and then you would have to come up with something new. Well, what would you suggest, Ryan? Oh, that's not my job. That's your job. Well, that's the thing you can't criticize without <laughs> offering a solution. I can too. That's literally no. the internet. Have you ever been on social media? Aren't you into like personal growth right now? Like no. really like trying new things? I've never said that. I don't know what you're trying to project on me. Oh, sure. That is a lie. Lying, folks. All right. But uh, coming up on the show, we've got updates on the next stimulus check. Yes. Okay. Plus- Can you stop social distancing once you get the vaccine? We've got those answers for you because there are actually some surprises that I didn't realize when uh, covering this and interviewing our experts. Uh, But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. White House aide Peter Navarro went on Fox Business with Maria Bartiromo. I mean, her interviews keep on getting um, attention for all the wrong reasons. And the clip is going viral, reacting to the impeachment. The Democratic Party did violence to this country by attacking a president who I believe was legally elected on November 3rd. If the election were held today, he'd be elected again. And if he runs in 2024, he will be elected then. And I think that's what the Democrats fear. And I've, I've never been more pissed off in my life at this place. And I think there's 74 million Americans out there who voted for President Trump who feel exactly the same way. So I would say to these people on Capitol Hill, knock it off. Stop this. Let the man leave peacefully with his dignity. He was the greatest jobs president, the greatest trade negotiator we've ever had in the in this history and this is this is just wrong what they're doing as someone said on twitter apparently peter navarro and maria bartiromo never got the memo about not deepening the divisions And according to LGBTQ Nation, President-elect Joe Biden is saying that LGBTQ people may have to wait more than 100 days for the Equality Act, but that he's going to get moving right away on ending the transgender military ban. Now, Biden had previously said, as we all know, and we've covered this, that he would sign the Equality Act into law in his first 100 days in office. But in a conference call with LGBTQ activists, his transition team said that may be difficult in the face of Obviously, as we know, the coronavirus, the vaccine rollout and the Senate's impeachment trial for Donald Trump, they've got a lot on their hands. And sources are saying that Democrats don't think they can advance legislation in the Senate despite holding the majority, at least right now. Now, a team of scientists from the World Health Organization landed in the Chinese city of Wuhan today to start tracing the origins of the coronavirus. They expect to stay for a month, but will start work immediately during their two week quarantine. And that's according to the World Health Organization. Two team members are being tested or retested in Singapore right now after Mm. testing positive for certain antibodies. And the team was initially denied entry on January 6th due to a lack of visa clearances, but they made their way in. Oh, okay. Well, that's not scary at all. 
Yeah, I mean, scientists, they're yeah. like all of us. They also have issues getting into China. Uh, but that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so this is a really interesting story because I kind of can relate. Every time Anne Hathaway appears at a movie premiere or people shout her name, she has these weird flashbacks to her childhood. But why? It's time for your tea report those pop culture stories that are trending right now. So the Oscar winning actress was on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon where she finally told everyone the reason why she hates her name. The only person who ever calls me Anne is my mother and she only does it when she's really mad at me, like really mad. Yeah, I know and that. so I, every time like I step out in public and someone calls my name, I think they're gonna yell at me. Yeah. So she continued on saying that people end up calling her on set like she said, people call me Miss H, people call me Hath. So feel free, call me anything but Anne. She actually prefers to be called Annie. Um, she, yeah, she has some trauma around Anne. She thinks it's a little too serious. And also her mom is the only person that calls her Anne. Um, so call her Annie. I just wonder, because for me, this brought up an interesting thing. I used to hate my name when I was younger. Like, I used to hate, like, Ryan Mitchell. I used to, in all honesty, I'm being quite transparent. I used to think it was, like, the whitest name ever. Um, I was like, Mom, that one, you were not even, like creative you just gave me a basic <laughs> name and I, I remember vivid conversations I had with my mom about my name but now when I get a job or like I you know fill out my resume I'm actually quite grateful for it have you hmm. hated, have you ever hated Shira Lazar or Shira Shira so I actually when I was younger I wanted this like really basic name it was like, like I almost what, like, what did, was like, it Stacy <laughs> You thought you were a Stacy? I was like, come on, I want to be Stacy. <laughs> I want to be Stacy. Come on. And then, of course, I started to like my name. Oddly enough, you know, because Shira, Shira Princess of Power, I get like the 80s cartoon character. Yeah. My age group wasn't really watching that, so they didn't actually make fun of me that much for that. It became more, I don't know, like I was actually never made fun of for my name. Like if anything, people brought up later on like how cool it was. But yeah, when I was younger, I wanted like a not, I guess I would say a basic name. Well, it's right? crazy because I feel oh, like American. people, especially our guests who come on the show and we're about to wrap up, our guests who come on the show have the hardest time pronouncing your name. And I'm like, it literally is just Shira. It's so, it's so, <laughs> ba like it's not basic, but it's so like just normal. I don't know. You, you think, yeah, people say Shira or I don't know. I mean, like there's only two possible options shira or shira or yeah. shira so let us know what you think. Um, and if you want to watch more of that clip, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com, of course, and keep us followed at LGT Show Everywhere. Or if you want to do what producer Vanessa does, call me She She. Oh, yeah, she. she does call you She. I don't know why. Like Where did that cute. even come from? It is a little pet name. Um, coming up on the show, uh, so Trump has been impeached again. So now what? Natalie Jennings from The Washington Post joins us for that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. President Trump has become the first president in American history to be impeached twice. Woo! Back with us, yes, is editor of The Fix for The Washington Post, Natalie Jennings, as we continue to discuss this. How has the past 24 hours been for you? I mean, this is crazy. Yeah, it is a lot different than I thought the last week of the Trump presidency was going to be. I, I don't know why I didn't expect, you know... Um, a riot followed by impeachment this particular January, but mm -hmm. here we are, you know, putting that knowledge that we gained last year around this time about impeachment back to good use. Um, so now we're trying to figure out what happens next, um, what the repercussions for Trump could be. It doesn't seem like the Senate is going to move on convicting him and removing him from office before he's out, but there will be a Senate trial and that does have some effects. Well, I, I really want to know, like, what do you think was the motive for Mitch to leak that he wanted the impeachment to happen, but he's not even really moving fast enough to kind of get this ball rolling? What, what, what was the point of all of that from Mitch McConnell? Well, he doesn't want to be the person, uh, I think, to oversee this impeachment trial. And it's easy enough. There's plenty of um, reason for him to cite, for him to punt this uh, through next week. Namely, the Senate is out of session. They weren't scheduled to come back into January 19th. And it's a little procedurally difficult to bring them back. He could figure out a way to do it if he wants. But we're so close. Um, you know, the security situation here is very strict and uh, you know, that poses its own challenges to getting all those members in while they're also trying to plan uh, a Biden 
inauguration at the Capitol, the same place, you know, these two big things are going to happen in the same place. So um, McConnell is not going to bring the Senate back early. January 19th is the day that they're back. That will be McConnell's likely last day as majority leader before the new Georgia senators get sworn in. And then it goes to Schumer. And then this becomes Schumer's, uh, you know, he he hands off the football and, and Schumer figures out exactly how to do this while he's also letting Joe Biden get started with his agenda. So what are the consequences of this impeachment? I mean, this, it still needs to go to trial. Right. Um, the, the consequences of impeachment are saying you were impeached. Um, so <laughs> what the House has done so far, like you said earlier, it's historic. No one has ever been impeached twice by the House, uh, but no one has ever, ever been convicted by the Senate and removed from office. We know now that Trump won't be able to be removed from office because he'll already be out of office. If the Senate, two thirds of the Senate vote to convict him, though, they could take another vote and say you also can never run for um, for political office again. And they could also limit the um, there's some question, but it it seems likely that it can limit some of the benefits of a post-presidency like um, security, pension, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, because that shot, when I tell you, I just found out about it, that every president gets like $200,000. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, what? That just sounds weird. Again, we're talking to Natalie Jennings, the editor of The Fix for The Washington Post. So is Trump's convention, uh, c- conviction actually realistic at this point? How likely is that to even happen? If I were to bet, I'd say it's less likely than not, but it's uh, certainly in the realm of possibility. And the fact that Mitch McConnell, you know, as much as he hasn't committed to saying how he will vote, the fact that someone who said um, last impeachment time that he wasn't an impartial juror in all this and he was working with the White House on the details of how that Senate impeachment trial would go. So just a year later for him to say, well, I'm withholding judgment on this. And we know from our reporting that he is absolutely livid about what happened last week at the Capitol and um, the Trump response to it. And he thinks that that was an impeachable offense. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, really telling and it could embolden some members of his caucus. He still will be the leader of Republicans. Um, he can do a lot to make their lives easier. Um, it won't be an easy vote for any Republican who wants to vote to convict, but McConnell holds some tools that could make it easier for them. And him being the one, the face of, this conviction effort, if, if it turns out to be that, would be, um, you know, something really significant for his colleagues. How, how does this change, I guess, how they're going to handle decisions moving forward in the Republican Party overall? Because it just seems like um, everything has been put into question. And so are they going to be leaning more towards the Democrats b- because of where things landed with this whole situation? Uh, do you mean like politically? Do you think they're they're policies? No, or just them? like I think policies, and also just like ethically, and just how yeah they're they're viewing these types of situations and the narrative of the, of the country. You know, you could look at it in a couple of ways. I mean, this is definitely not the way that they wanted Trump to go out of office with this stain on um, his, their party via him. Uh, but the, he still has his vehement defenders. Um, or people who at least would say, well, Democrats are bad in these ways. Not a lot of people were saying what happened last week was OK, uh, but they weren't about to, uh, you know, take it all out on Trump yesterday. What we're first going to see is a really big rift in the Republican Party, and it's going to take years to see what exactly what direction that is. First test will be in the 2022 midterms. Does anybody who turned their back on Trump get right. a primary that's more Trumpy? And, and how do those go? And then you got uh, dare I say the next presidential election when they're going to have to pick someone to be the standard bearer and how far in the direction of Trump is that person going to be? I mean, I think we're going getting to a space where we're going to see another party kind of bloom. I think we're already seeing that and I think it's going to rip the Republican Party into two, to be quite honest. It's going to be interesting to see. It's hard to see how it reconciles here. Yeah, yeah definitely. All right, Natalie Jennings, you're going to hang out with us because coming up next, everything you need to know about the third stimulus check that is possible coming uh that is next let's go there with shira and ryan the new channel q with democrats taking over the senate what's the chance of a fourteen hundred dollar even a two thousand dollar stimulus check well back with us is natalie jennings the editor of the fix for the washington post so natalie as we get closer to biden being sworn in what are you hearing right now biden's team just got off a call with reporters where they fleshed out a lot of what they are going to propose so his first item on his agenda Uh, legislatively will be to propose some additional relief for coronavirus um, and the economic effects of that. Um, It's a 
you know, a spending package total almost $2 trillion. Uh, so that's pretty big. And that would include another round of stimulus, unemployment relief, um, some money for vaccinations and money for schools to be open. Those are the big things within that. Wow. I mean, that's that's good to hear, I guess. But how will these impeachment trials kind of get in the mix of all of that? Right. It seems like the focus isn't really on COVID relief anymore. It feels like it's shifted. The news focus has and Biden certainly does not like the fact that, you know, this could um, consume the first couple of days uh, to weeks of his term. Um, he suggested ways to bifurcate that. The agenda was what he said, meaning the Senate deals with this impeachment trial for part of the day and does things like get to work. Come on, mommy. We love you. We <laughs> yeah, love this it. is real this life. This is real uh, life. Mommy on the go. You know, Natalie's been on our show for so long and I don't think I've ever heard a child in the background. <laughs> I'm going to have to bifurcate myself for my different hats here. <laughs> I love it. Um, Oh, where was I? Um, yeah, so he's got to get nominees confirmed is the other thing. We need a secretary of defense and state and homeland security and all of those things. Um, so that's a lot going on. Uh, but he wants to go ahead and start working on this while um, Schumer figures out, you know, what what he's going to do with the trial. Unlike last time we had a Senate trial, this trial doesn't really involve the person at the seat of the legislative or the executive branch. Mm. So he can go ahead and conduct his business and be running the country um, and go about that, doing his end of it while he works with the Senate when they can to do this legislation. Um, you know, he can expect some pushback from Republicans on the spending. Um, they are going to be very concerned about deficits, much more so now than they were in the last four years and how he navigates that. But interestingly, I think this is not going to be as much of a spending uh big spending package, as some Democrats would like. Biden wants to come out initially with a package that is something that Republicans could sign on to, to mm. get some um, bipartisanship going and then do something more ambitious down the road. So this is just the first phase. Interesting. Yeah. Again, you're hearing from Natalie Jennings, the editor of The Fix for The Washington Post. Uh, now, 8 million Americans have slipped into poverty during the coronavirus pandemic. How is the Biden administration planning on dealing with this? I mean, this is really bad. I think he is aware how how many people are really, really hurting in this country. And a lot of these efforts are focused on those people who are food insecure right now. Um, this includes some child tax credits. It includes pretty generous um, relative to what has been happening, spending on um, unemployment aid and and again, stimulus checks that might be the first round of stimulus that he's proposing. Um, he's also going to do a lot to sort of get back to normal. Um, there's a big part of this that's focused on vaccinations and schools, which, as everyone knows, is central to getting us back to normal life where people can regain their income and regain their own ways of doing things. Yeah, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, she was on one of those like right wing extremist uh, networks. And she says she plans to file articles of impeachment against Biden on January 21st, his first full day in office. Are we planning on seeing a lot of pushback from Republicans doing things like this to kind of derail the Biden administration? I, what you will see that's in line with what, what Marjorie Taylor Greene did is a lot of political theater because Republicans aren't going to have a majority in any of the governing branches. They are going to be a minority in the House, as they already are, minority in the Senate, um, and, and not in power in the White House. And that doesn't mean that Joe Biden gets to do everything he does, but it means that Republicans can't set the agenda. So what they can do is try to get attention um, of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene is um, very extreme in her views, um, affiliated with QAnon and the, the far right. And um, so we can expect her to the degree that she is going to participate in political theater to do things that are um, outside the norm and don't really have a shot of going anywhere, which is what that proposal will be. Yeah. When we see our country and this whole stimulus check situation, it's like you look at something uh, or like a place like Canada and they've been supporting their citizens. And so it's like, are they feeling like they're economically in a bad situation because of that? Because it seems like we keep saying if we're going to support the citizens, we're just going to be in a bad economic situation. But we keep putting ourselves in a bad economic situation I mean, because of how we're supporting that. the citizens. Yeah. Right. Yeah, lots of people are, are very concerned about the amount of debt um, and deficit that the United States is incurring right now. And what Biden is saying to that is, look, 
if you've ever got to borrow a large amount of money, now is the time to do it. Yeah. Is <laughs> Isn't it just monopoly right. money anyway? It's That's like we already owe money. Why they does it make printed. a difference? Well, I mean, it goes somewhere. Um, and, you know, we owe yeah, money to other countries. Right. But, um, but you know, you got to prioritize within that. And that gets into a lot of debate that, you know, is going to go different than it did during the Trump administration. All right. That was Natalie Jennings, the editor of The Fix for The Washington Post. Thanks so much for being here and multitasking with us. <laughs> <laughs> Never stops. Yes. Coming up, Pope Francis, his kind advice to this gay couple that changed their lives. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. No, Pope Francis has given mixed messages on LGBTQ plus issues, but Italian gay couple Andrea Rubera and Dario De Gregorio uh, say he's done an important favor for their family. Rubera, in a recent interview with the National Catholic Reporter, said the men were initially reluctant to enroll their children in a program to learn the Catholic catechism. Uh, basically the faith's doctrine at a Rome area church. They feared their kids, which makes sense, would be subjected to bias because of having two dads. So in April 2015, they were considering the whole thing and Ribeiro received an invitation to attend the Pope's daily mass. He decided to go. He brought a letter to Francis seeking advice. And guess what? A few days later, he received a call from Pope Francis. Imagine Pope Francis just like picking up the phone, giving you a call, and this is the advice that he gave. He said, I think you should do it. Go to the pastor, ask for a meeting, introduce yourself transparently. And I'm quite confident that everything is going to be all right. And he did that. And the children are now going to that school. Uh, they've had a good experience and they've learned about uh, their Catholic religion. And, and so this is one way to do it. And it really just, I guess, proves that Pope Francis is really trying to push things forward. But what do you think about this? I mean, um, this amazing story. Well, I think it's interesting when you hear a story like this, and I'm so happy that it worked out uh, for this couple because I think what a lot of people don't realize is that there are um, tons of queer people in this community who consider themselves to be religious, and, and religion is a huge part of who they are and want to kind of pass that on to their kids and the generations after them, and I think that is acceptable for whatever they want to do. But I think what's interesting here is Pope Francis, you know, the mixed messages, the calling it of civil unions, him just saying, well, how have a transparent conversation doesn't seem like a, a end-all be-all type of thing, right? It worked out in this case. Oh, there yeah. needs to be more of this kind of inclusion because there's a lot of couples or people who don't get that same type of treatment. And this idea of just being able to call up you know, the pastor and be like, hey, this is what's going on. It doesn't really seem like they'll get that uh, that answer, that uh, generosity all the time. And I don't think, you know, people should have to subject themselves to a judgment or feeling othered, especially when they want something that is what they can, like what they deem to be good for their children. I think that's what my hiccup is with a, a spirituality a lot of times, because it, it seems like you have to sacrifice a piece of who you are. Or religion, to, yeah. for for religion instead of it just embracing you and accepting you. So I'm happy it worked out for them, but I, I do think there's a bigger picture here. Well, yeah, we see it here in the States. I mean, even priests get kicked out of their own church when they come out as trans, right? So there's a lot of work to do. This is my thing. I see that Pope Francis comes out and says, if you want Catholic church, if you want that even in your name or to say you're Catholic church, if I hear that you are turning people away, I will like ban you. You know what but I mean? It's something I, really extreme. But I, I just don't think it's that simple because people, there's a lot of people who don't like Pope Francis because they deem him to be too progressive. And there's people that won't listen to him just because he's the Pope, um, you know, because of the decisions that Pope Francis is trying to be more inclusive or even I consider it to be like half-ass inclusivity, but he's still trying to be inclusive. And um, I, I just feel like that would really create, um, you know, a divide, which there seems like there already is, but who knows? It does seem like something needs to happen that is like stern. Don't use the Catholic church against people. Like if this is not what being Catholic represents, and I'm Jewish, of course, but it's like, it seems like something needs to be done or create your own religion. I don't know. Uh, no, because Catholic people have way more to worry about. I mean, they're over there. You don't want to dive into all of those claims, but I no, mean, I was going to say it. I'm not all about this, but like if Pope Francis says you're going to go to hell, if you are mean to these people or shun the LGBTQ plus community or any other, Hey, maybe people take it seriously. Who knows? Maybe. 
Okay, we've got what's trending this hour. And we've got an update on that crazy Army Hammer story. He's a cannibal. Will he appear in his next movie because of all this news that has recently been released? We're getting into that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, the impact of Instagram on the LGBTQ plus community. Is it good or is it bad? Plus, once you and your friends are vaccinated, can you just quit social distancing for good? We're going to have those answers on this hour of Let's Go There. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Lindsey Graham, he was on Hannity and he continued to spew ridiculousness when discussing impeachment last night, comparing Trump's impeachment to impeaching George Washington for owning slaves. We'll play this out. We impeach the president today today without any evidence. It's just sheer hatred. If this becomes the norm, be careful what you wish for today. Under this theory, the radical left, if you can impeach a president after they're out of office, why don't we impeach George Washington? He owns slaves. Where does this stop? Yeah. I don't even know if I have any thoughts about this. If this was just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, that I don't even want to warrant it a response, to be quite honest. Like, I honestly just want um, Lindsey Graham to go away, to just hide and just go away because he is, he must not want a political career at this point. He is never going to be trusted by Republican colleagues or anyone in politics at this point. It's just like he's shooting himself in the foot. Unless you're completely ignorant. Yeah, Yeah, that part too. Yeah. Well, now it's coming out, according to the Washington Post and the FBI's investigation, that dozens of people on a terrorist watch list were in Washington for the pro-Trump events January 6th. The majority of the watch-listed individuals in Washington that day are suspected white supremacists. No surprise there. They were already in the National Terrorist Screening Database for their previous conduct and flagged as potential security risks. The watch list is larger and actually separate from the no-fly list the government maintains to prevent terrorism suspects from boarding airplanes, and those listed are not automatically barred from any public or commercial spaces. Now, we mentioned this earlier, but didn't get to play the clip. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, a freshman lawmaker from Georgia, who's best known for her support of the QAnon conspiracy theory, shared this with Greg Kelly uh, on Newsmax, that she would file articles of impeachment against Biden the day after he takes office. Well, that makes sense. Yes, I, I would like to announce on behalf of the American people, we have to make sure that our leaders are held accountable. We cannot have a president of the United States that is willing to abuse the power of the office of the presidency um, and be easily bought off by foreign governments, uh, foreign Chinese or Chinese energy companies, Ukrainian energy companies. So on January 21st, I will be filing articles of impeachment on Joe Biden. Again, everything she is saying this was investigated and has been proven. And if she wants to hold our leaders accountable, she should probably start with the current leader. Um, like Natalie said it earlier, it's political theater. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. Now, a little early, yes, Queen, residents of Heber City, Utah, are getting an LGBTQ center to call their own. So exciting and needed. Inspired by headlines about a controversial ordinance that may prevent advocates from installing pride banners on city lampposts during Pride Month in June, the LGBTQ nonprofit Encircle announced that it will erect an LGBTQ resource center in Heber City. Just blocks from the public high school, it will take the shape of a newly constructed house with a large gathering area, therapy rooms, a music room, and an art room. And this comes from Encircle Executive Director Stephanie Larson, who said this, the house is a safe space. It makes it feel like home so that these individuals have a place to come every day and feel loved and accepted, maybe when they don't feel at home in a school or church or even their own homes. And finally, uh, Disneyland is trending today because they are officially canceling all annual passes and suspending the program indefinitely. That is so rude. Do you have one of those passes? No, of course not. Do I even seem like a Disney gay? No, Shira. I mean, but you seem very impacted by this. No, I was speaking for the Disney gays. I tweet and I uh, use my voice for the Disney gays on this channel. Good to know. All right, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, right? All right, buckle up. We're about to talk all about Army Hammer, and it's only gotten worse. It's time for your tea report, those pop culture stories trending right now. 
So Army Hammer, we talked about him yesterday, um, but now the latest news is he will be exiting his upcoming movie, Shotgun Wedding, the movie that he was doing with J-Lo amid a brewing scandal involving allegedly messages from the star about his sex life. Hammer in a statement said, I'm not responding to these BS claims in light of the vicious and superior um, online attacks against me. I cannot in good conscience now leave my children for four months to shoot a film in the Dominican Republic. I don't really know what that has to do with anything. Uh, but on top of that, one of Army's exes is actually speaking out saying their romance was like... <laughs> Okay, let me let me be clear. So, uh-huh. on top of all this, Army Hammer's ex, she's speaking out saying their romance was like dating a wannabe Hannibal Lecter. Apparently, Harmy uh, Harmer's idea of pillow talk was fantasizing about which of her body parts he liked to roast and devour. Wait, what is going on? Are we in like an alternate universe right now? <laughs> That's, because every time I think about this story, I just never think like, oh my God, like rape fantasies are uh, cannibalism are going to be two words that pop up. I mean, I don't even know where to go from here. Is his career over at this point? I mean, I can't think this is helping. Like, yeah, this is pretty intense to come out. I mean, it, because I know it's like if he says it, then it's consensual when he does it. But it also makes me feel like he might be a secretive murderer or something. Well, my thing is, why stop your movie, filming your movie, and then blame and saying you're gonna, you're not going to leave your children? Like, it just makes no sense. It, it smells like a lie is brewing. But-, but the thing is, it's uncomfortable as a woman, I would think. Like and I can't. He didn't say his. He didn't say his wife. He said his children. Yeah, but like if you were um, a co-star on a movie and you knew all this, you might be a bit uncomfortable thinking like if he's attracted to, he wants to like eat. No, you. I don't know. I don't know. If you if you want to know all the details, head over to our site at weirdchannelq.com because we got to wrap up. You know, we should have Chris Donahue on to talk about this. Like, no. you know, stigmas around these types of things and these cannibalism. Things. The stigma around cannibalism. Sure, there should be a stigma around cannibalism. <laughs> Are you what? Please, in this segment. Coming up. Coming up, is Instagram good or bad for the LGBTQ plus community? We're getting into that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new channel Q. Gays on Instagram have been in the spotlight, specifically during the pandemic, for continuing to party, socialize in groups, and post about it along the way. It's become a disturbing trend for many, including partners Brent Hardinger and Michael Jensen, who wrote about this topic recently, asking the question, is Instagram good or bad for the LGBTQ community? And they are joining us right now. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. So why did you want to write this piece on LGBTQNation.com? What inspired it? Well, we're pretty big on Instagram. Um, I really enjoy photography. I spend a lot of time there. And in the course of, of posting our stuff and looking at other accounts, I started to really notice how easy it could be to become, to start to feel bad about yourself, to look at all the pictures of the endless feeds of hot guys living perfect lives. You know, they're in, they've got these sculpted bodies and they're having parties all the time. And I sort of started to think about it and I posted about it and I got a really strong reaction from people saying, yeah, that, that part really bothers me. And it occurred to me to, to write about it through an Instagram story and sort of talk about how it depends on what part of Instagram you're looking at. If you are spending all of your time looking at tags about guys in Speedos and you know party in Palm Springs, you are going to see those things. But if you're willing to branch out and look at other tags, you know, I spent a lot of time on, on LGBTQ outdoors or gay hiking and things like that, you start to get a, a different impression of the gay community. Well, think- let, let me hasten to add, there's, there's nothing wrong with looking at guys in Speedos. But, <laughs> yeah, hey. that, you know, Instagram, like everything in life, I, we ask the question, is Instagram good for the gay community or bad? And the fact is, it's good and bad, depending on, you know, which part, you know, how, if you overindulge, what part you look at, if you have a well-balanced diet, like everything in life. Yeah, I guess when asking this question, I wonder how inclusive we're being, Um, because oftentimes when we look at, you know, these Instagrams and even the kind of photo um, on that is kind of linked as the the headline uh, in front of the headline, it's just kind of like cis, you know, white gays. And so I wonder how inclusive are we thinking about um, making sure it feels diverse uh, when we're asking this question? 
Well, I think Instagram is really reflective of society in, in, in a bad way in that when you go to the top ranked pictures on tags, unfortunately, you're going to see what society is reinforcing. And even now in 2020, it seems to be, as you said, cis white guys, you know, with, with perfect bodies and looking attractive. And I wish it were different, but I think part of the way to make it different is to make it incumbent upon yourself when you go to Instagram to follow accounts and like accounts of people that are different. I mean, I, I make it a real point just because of who I am and what I'm interested in to follow all kinds of different people. I mean, I, I follow lesbian couples who, who have kids. I'm not a lesbian. I'm not going to have kids, but I really enjoy interacting with and seeing those people. It, what it, it, go ahead. Well, it, it does sort of feel like at least the possibility exists. I mean, the age that we live in, it's like everything is great and everything is terrible. And I mean, you go back 10, 20 years, if you are a person of color, if you are a not traditionally masculine gay guy, you don't really see yourself reflected anywhere. And now Instagram, while it is true that it features the, you know, conventionally attractive cisgendered, you know, white male, there's also at least the possibility that there are all kinds of great accounts that you can follow. But you sort of, it, I mean, we all have a personal responsibility to, to, to seek that out and to support that, I think. And that was yeah, part definitely. of the point of the article is that I wanted to talk about, well, here are the bad parts of it. If you touch this part of the elephant, you're going to see. I talk about the, the parable of the three blindfolded men touching an elephant. But if you spend time, and this is what I wanted to do, it was my responsibility as a writer and as a person and, and you know, wanting to talk about certain things, I use the article to promote these other accounts, to get them out there so that Instagram does become even more reflective of those and to highlight those that are good for the community and, and make people aware of them. Again, we're talking to partners Brent and Michael, uh, who also wrote this article on LGBTQ Nation, is Instagram good or bad for the LGBTQ community? You're here, so we got to ask about that viral account, Gaze Over COVID, uh, who, that was outing all the partiers and even uh, healthcare workers who were out and about over the holidays. What was your take on that? So, you know, like everything... I think we all have a personal responsibility, especially in a pandemic, to be to act in a responsible way. And, you know, I mean, you know, it's hard not to be critical of people who came down here. It, it seemed like they were acting. And here is Puerto Vallarta where you are right now. Yeah, yeah, we've been living here all winter and we'll be here for three or four months. But at the same time, you know, I mean, haven't we learned anything from HIV AIDS that shaming people does not change behavior? And so that part of it upsets me, too. It's like I don't think there are any good actors here. It's like we all need to be personally responsible. It's not our responsibility to then dox people who, in our opinion, were not responsible. So the whole thing sort of kind of depresses me. Um, I would I would like to think we would all aim a little higher in life. I, I totally disapprove of the doxing, trying to get people fired for how they're behaving. I'm not comfortable with that. I do, I do think it's up to the community to create a standard to which to live up to. And so I, I don't have a problem with criticizing people who are coming down here specifically to act like COVID doesn't exist. I mean, the, the white party was being held down here and they kept moving it around in order to keep it secret so it could happen. And just shame on everybody involved with that, the people promoting it and the people going to it. That's just utterly irresponsible, and I'm, I'm not afraid to say that. We appreciate you for being here and for writing this article and definitely some interesting thoughts as we all continue our social media use in 2021. Uh, that was Brent Hardinger and Michael Jensen. They are partners and writers. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for, having, for having us. This is fun. Now, coming up on the show, once you and your friends are vaccinated, can you finally quit social distancing? We've got those answers next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Once you and your friends are vaccinated, can you finally quit social distancing? That is the big question. Of course, the masks are too. But joining us for those answers is Dr. Amesh Adalja, who's a senior scholar at Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me. So let's get into this because we've talked about the mask situation and we know we can't just stop using masks the minute we get a vaccine. But what about social distancing? Well, what we're trying to understand is how well the vaccines protect against asymptomatic infections. We know that vaccines do really, really well at preventing you from getting symptomatic infection. But there's a little bit of an open question regarding whether or not you could still be infected, not know it and pass it on to somebody. So that's why people have been very cautious to uh, lift any kind of social distancing or masking type of requirements. There are studies ongoing to answer that question that will help us know, but 
if you're if you're vaccinated and somebody else is vaccinated, uh, I really don't think there's much of an issue if, if you've gotten both doses and, oh. and it's been about 10 days, at least from a practical standpoint. Hmm. But if if you're just going out and about with other people, there could be a chance that you might infect somebody asymptomatically. Some of this is a little bit controversial, what I'm saying, but I think we're, get, we're getting to that point where we're going to have to start to think about how to change this messaging as more and more people get get vaccinated. Because the point is, is that as we get more and more people vaccinated, there's going to be less of a risk of spread. There's going to be less of a risk of severe disease and the risk perception is going to change. So right now, continue doing what you're doing. But I think stay tuned and you may see some guidance change after some time. Should vaccinated people assume that they can still become infected? Right now, I think that you have to think that there is a chance that you could get infected, not have any symptoms, and then go and spread it to a vulnerable person. So you have to be careful uh, until we get more data. I think that there, there's going to be a point where we know how, how well the vaccine protects against asymptomatic infection. It's an active area, and it's a really crucial area for, to understand. But right now, I wouldn't change anything that people people are doing. And also remember that the vaccine doesn't give you this kind of cloak in, of invincibility the minute you get it. It takes some time to for that immunity to kick in. So after your first dose, you'll start to see some protection in about seven to 10 days. And the same is true after the second dose, seven to 10 days before you start to see the full protection that the vaccine affords you against symptomatic infection. So it, it's a little bit complicated, but we're getting there. Yeah, again, you're hearing from Dr. Amesh Dalja, who's a senior scholar at the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. In this article in Vox.com, they talk about three stages in terms of what we're going to look, uh, how are we going to look at this? Stage one, vaccinating close friends and family in terms of social distancing. Okay, you can stop social distancing from them. Stage two, your city, state, and then stage three, internationally. Can you get into that? What we're already seeing is, you know, if you're in your household, people aren't social distancing anyway. And what you'll start to see is as people get vaccinated, there'll be a lot less restrictions on what people do in their own town or in their own home. There won't be these the gathering limits may may rise, but it's going to take some time to see all of those restrictions disappear. So, for example, uh, capacity in a restaurant or bar service at a restaurant or or mass gatherings. Can you have a, a concert? All of that is going to take some time. I think we're probably looking for summer for some of the states to do that. Already, some states have, have changed. You can go to the movie theater in certain states already, even before the vaccine. But for, for universally across the country, I think we're looking in, in summer to see some semblance of normalcy. International travel is going to be a little bit tricky because not every country is going to be on the same time scale. So what you may see is some countries will say, you can come into our country without a quarantine, without a test, if you have a vaccine certificate. Others may say, we still want you to get a test or we still want you to quarantine. And I think that's going to kind of take some time to change because remember that while we are we in the developed world are going to have, have access to this vaccine now, uh, it's going to take some time, probably well into 2022, for the entire world to be vaccinated against this. So there may still be uh, restrictions needing a, a vaccine, a proof of vaccination before you enter a country. But it's all kind of being worked out on the fly. And I don't think we can completely predict how this world is going to look with with uneven vaccine numbers across the world. Right. I, I think those are really good points. I do wonder, are we ever going to reach, uh, you know, the buzz term herd immunity anytime soon? I feel like we were hearing that so much and now it just seems like it is a figment of the imagination at this point. I think we will get to herd immunity in the United States, maybe in late summer, um, early fall as, as vaccination speeds up. The other thing that's important to remember is we'll start to see the benefit of the vaccine even before we reach herd immunity. One, because we'll be vaccinating our vulnerable populations that comprise a lot of the people that get hospitalized. So if all the nursing home patients are, are vaccinated, they're not going to be coming to the hospital with COVID-19. And that's going to relieve a lot of pressure on hospitals, which is going to change the risk perception. Mm -hmm. Also, remember, not not everybody spreads the infection the same. We have we kind of assume when we talk about herd immunity that the population is homogenous, but it's really heterogeneous, meaning that some people spread the virus more than others. And if you get those subpopulations vaccinated, and some countries are actually going after those subpopulations, like Indonesia, for example, rather than the high-risk individuals first, you might see benefits before that. So I do think we'll start to see some some there's reasons for optimism, I would say, as we move into a more aggressive stage of vaccination and we'll start to see some things returning somewhat to normal. But it's going to probably be late into summer before you, you look anything looks like 2019. And finally, is there going to be a way that we show this? Like, so is it going to be something like on an app or like a card that someone gets where if you meet someone, say, on a dating app or for work, show me th that you've gotten the vaccine Right. So that we both know we've gotten the vaccine and we don't need a social distance and we can feel safe. 
Well, right now, when you get the vaccine, and I, I've gotten both of my doses, you get a little card that has a stamp on it that tells you what days you got your vaccine, which brand you got it. And eventually, I think those will be digitized or available on, a, on an app. But right now, it's kind of a flimsy little card that you can carry around with you if you, if you want to show it off. But that's, that's what we're doing. I think eventually, it will probably become more sophisticated uh, as companies try to find ways to um, verify the security of it, because people may want to know. For example, an airline might want to know, or a, a cruise ship may want to know. Yeah. And, so, so I think that's coming. All right. That was Dr. Amish Adalja, senior scholar at the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Uh, coming up on the show, news on how Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner treated their secret service has been leaked and it's causing quite the stir on social media. We get into that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Reports are coming out that the Secret Service detail assigned to President Trump's daughter and son-in-law, you know, Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner, supposedly they spent months searching for a reliable bathroom to use on the job. This, this is according to neighbors and law enforcement officials. And now people are referencing the movie The Help on social media because of how they treated the help. People are saying, I can't believe they treated the help like this or not surprised they treated the help like this. Yeah, I hate that people are bringing up what? that film because that film was actually talking about racism. But I don't yes, know. Yes, that's why people, I was confused. Like that was like a really weird. I I get the the the, the ironicness of the title and the help and how they're treating these Secret Service people because honestly, this story that the Washington Post wrote is very page six worthy. Like it doesn't right? really feel like something they would even write. Yeah, it's political gossip. I mean, it's kind of juicy. So supposedly these Secret Service were resorting to a porta potty as well as the bathrooms at a nearby home um, of former President Barack Obama and not so nearby residents of Vice President Pence. And finally, they found an, a toilet to call their own. This is like the search for the toilet. I don't get why this was such a big deal. And supposedly it cost taxpayers and the government $3,000 a month. That's more than $100,000 to date so that these individuals could use a bathroom. They ended up renting a basement studio with the bathroom from a neighbor of the Kushner family because they would refuse to let these folks use their own bathroom. So here's the thing. I don't know how long this has been going on, but I would assume it's probably been going on since they've become a part of like the first family. Um, But, you know, it would make sense if something like this was happening in the middle of the pandemic where you're just afraid to have people in your house and you just want to keep it limited. Like, I would get that. But this just seems gross and overly like just rich and just disgusting that us as taxpayers are having to pay for these Secret Service people who are keeping these folks safe. They have to go down the street or around the corner or wherever they're going that is not in a centralized location to just use the bathroom. It's like they are literally keeping you alive and risking their lives. I mean, Donald Trump has over and over and over again, when he was diagnosed with COVID, he still risked the lives of Secret Service people by going in the car with them and driving around just to say hello to people outside. Like, they just do not care about those folks as humans. They just see them as property and be like, you're supposed to do that. That's your job. Yeah, I mean, someone's dump is not going to kill you. You know, but I mean, but this is the thing, Uh, you know, if you have a big group of people that are maybe protecting you, I don't know how big this group was. Maybe you don't want them to use your your bathroom. Maybe you want to say, like, listen, like we you know, you could go, um, you know, it will have a setup outside. So you don't need a if we're having private meetings and if there's stuff going on or the kids have their friends over, they don't have these secret services coming in inside randomly. If they got to go, what if they were wait, what if the secret service were actually worried about clogging the bathrooms god forbid they would use these they would clog these expensive bathrooms but instead that they that got they them a, they got them a porta potty at one point and then they took it away like i just i don't i don't like any of this my thing is you know jared and ivanka have a six bedroom six and a half bath of house and if it wasn't at, in the middle of a pandemic like i said earlier i would understand but 
I think there's something to be said about you couldn't give one of your, even your half bath that has a sink and a toilet, that being kind of the place, well, hey, we'll just, you know, use that bathroom and call it a day. Having the Secret Service in your house is just another form of protection. It just feels gross and just, it shows you how these rich folks act when people are like around them. And I could only imagine how their staff, like their, you know, their service staff in their apartment is kind of like being treated. Yeah. these sacrifices that you need to make. Well, they have denied this. That's where they stand on this. Okay, now we've got some what's trending this hour coming up. Cops who claim they took selfies during the Capitol riots, as a joke, have been charged. More details on that next. That's good. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, a lesbian couple decided to share their fertility journey on social media. They're joining us to share what they learned and advice for others in the LGBTQ plus community who want to start a family too. How excited for that. Yes, definitely. It was very sweet. They're a very sweet couple. Uh, But let's get into some what's training this hour right now. VP Pence says the Trump administration is working to ensure a safe inauguration for the president-elect and for the VP-elect. And here he is speaking today at the Department of Homeland Security. American people can be confident that our administration will continue to work every day between now uh, and January 20th to ensure an orderly transition. And we'll continue to work with all of the agencies represented here and the tens of thousands of, uh, of men and women that are working around the clock uh, to ensure a safe inauguration for our president-elect, for our vice president-elect, uh, and for all of the American people. They deserve nothing less. And uh, speaking of the inauguration, President-elect Biden's transition team announced that they received a briefing from senior officials at the FBI, Secret Service, and members of his national security team. On Wednesday, the transition team said they are engaging with the current administration on the preparations being put in place to deter and defend against violent disruptions or attacks. And there was no indication of changes to the inauguration plans. And the Biden team will have daily briefings on preparations going forward. But if you actually were planning on going to the inauguration of President Biden... Uh, you might not want to go. <laughs> in I response, mean, you. I mean, <laughs> pandemic. Yeah, that too. In response to ongoing threats of violence in Washington, D.C., Airbnb announced Wednesday that it would cancel all reservations in the metro area for the week of inauguration. They're going to block new reservations for that time period. And they noted that the decision came in light of various local, state, and federal officials asking people not to travel to Washington, D.C. My thing is, also, I know there was some stuff going on where they ended up finding out that some of the people who were booking things had ties to white supremacy groups and uh you know some of them were rioters or uh those domestic terrorists is what i'm calling them and what several other people are calling them and i think yeah i love that they're taking that initiative and doing it very quickly but also um bright side of things lady gaga is performing the national anthem super excited about that at the inauguration j-lo isn't j-lo doing something yeah, too? J-Lo, but i wasn't going to mention her like who cares oh Oh, okay. I've Dang. never been really a fan of uh, J-Lo like that. Okay, I didn't realize. Just catching up on that. Now, two off-duty Virginia police officers have been charged in connection to the Capitol Hill riots. Jacob Fracker and Thomas Robertson, they posted selfies from inside the Capitol building during the invasion January 6th, which quickly spread on social media. The pair claimed they had taken the pictures as a joke to let family members know they were okay, having been let into the building by fellow officers. However, the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. and the Counterterrorism Section of the Department of Justice's National Security Division and all of us didn't really see it as so funny. They announced on Wednesday that both men have been arrested and charged with one count of knowingly entering or remaining in any restricted building or grounds without lawful authority and one count of violent entry and disorderly conduct on Capitol grounds. And according to the Washington Post, Trump has instructed aides not to pay Giuliani's legal fees. Ooh, the rift continues between Giuliani now and Trump. And they've also demanded that he personally approve any reimbursements for the expenses Giuliani incurred while traveling on the president's behalf to challenge election results in key states. And I guess, and I've been waiting for this one, I guess that includes all the hair dye he bought. That, you know, because of the 
press conference where he had the hair dyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Oh, my God. Can we all please collectively stop asking Sarah Jessica Parker if there's going to be a, a, a replacement for Kim Cattrall, for Samantha? It's time for your tea report those pop culture stories trending right now. I mean, SJP has been harassed from tweets to Instagram comments, and now TMZ is asking her the questions we most definitely need answers to. So they ran up on her and basically asked about replacing Kim Cattrall and here's what she had to say we're not looking to, to, to create a, a fourth character we have New York City as a, as a fourth character and there'll be lots of interesting New characters that we're excited about. What do you mostly- so I also love how in this clip she was kind of like, um, New York City will be the fourth character, even though I don't really even know what the hell that means. But please, at this point, let's just give it a rest. Kim Cattrall is not going to be a part of the reboot, unfortunately. The 10-episode half-hour series, and just like that, is scheduled to begin production in New York in late spring, HBO Max says. So what? we'll just have to see. They'll have a lot of room and places to shoot, that's for sure. I mean, yeah. I I hate it when people like say cities are like the, the characters or like the fourth characters are a character in the show. It's just like, what does that even mean? It, I don't know. It's just a city, but whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, I could see uh, like New York has its own personality and like it's set against that and it was so part of the show. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it also just doesn't answer the question. But the show's not called Sex and the City anymore. It's called And Just Like That. So it's completely different, you know? And so... Um, we'll see what happens. I Like I said, I, I got to catch up and, and watch and see what these women are up to. You do. Get your cocktail on. Get your cosmopolitan and go watch that, Ryan. All right. Well, that's your team report. That's all I got for you. You're welcome. Thank you. Now, coming up, a lesbian couple is sharing their fertility journey, having two children using one sperm donor and their advice for others looking to start a family. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Starting a family can be challenging, including if you're part of the LGBTQ plus community. But these moms and content creators have been sharing their own fertility journey on social media at the Sharon Moms. Britt and Sydney Sharon are joining us right now, alongside someone um, who's part of California Cryobank, Scott Brown. They were part of this process. They were instrumental, actually. Uh, Scott Brown is an advocate for helping the LGBTQ plus community through the donor sperm process. Thanks, everyone, for joining us as we navigate this very important conversation. Thanks for having us. Britt and Sydney, um, the Sharons, you have two children now. Congratulations. There's so many options right now I think people um, see, and it can be overwhelming. How did you go about starting the process? The easy part was choosing the California cryobank. The hard part was choosing the sperm. We didn't know where to start. And everyone that we know in our community was like, just go to the California cryobank. They will take care of you. And that was number one, because we didn't know what we were doing. Um, But once we got in there and we went down the rabbit hole, I kind of imagined it being like shopping at Nordstrom.com. You have all your categories and you can filter and find who you want to, you know, choose as your sperm donor. But then you're actually in there and you're overwhelmed by the amount that you have to choose from. And you're not choosing a partner. You're not choosing someone to marry. You're not choosing someone to fall in love with. But you are choosing someone who is forever going to be ingrained into your family, quite literally at the DNA level. I knew what was important for me was having a child with um, with our one of our blood types, mm. which is which is such a genius way to start the search. You know that with any sperm donor you choose with California Cryobank, you're getting top quality sperm. You know yeah. that they're all healthy. I'm pretty sure that the screening process that the California Cryobank does with their donors is stupidly rigorous. Um, so you're paying top dollar for something that is already of quality. So if you know you're getting quality, how do you how do you choose a sperm donor when you look at all these cute little baby photos that they provide? Yeah. Um, so Britt Brit took the practical analytical approach. And when we narrowed it down with blood type, that actually narrowed down the amount of options we had. Again, we're talking to Britt and Sydney, the Sharon Moms content creator, sharing their fertility journey. So Sydney and Britt, I guess what is some advice you can share, things you wish you had known going into the process um, that you want to share with members of the community or those who would want to go through this? The first one is we obviously are fans of the California cryobank. So for people debating on what 
sperm bank to use. We were fans of the California cryobank. We're also located right near them, but their customer service was always really prompt and helpful. Going off of that, just when we first started, we didn't know what we were doing. So we got partnered with a representative that kind of walked us through the process. Literally, they walked us through on the phone, step by step. Okay, put your name in here. Okay, push next here. Okay. And the hand, that kind of handholding, even with filling out a form, when you're going through a fertility process, especially for LGBT families, we're not necessarily infertile. We don't have fertility issues. I'm just missing a key ingredient in my relationship to go and get pregnant. Um, so when you're confronted with that conversation, um, having that kind of level of handholding with compassion, you can't put a price tag on that. So I think something that I didn't know that I would want other people to know is that California Cryobank does provide that for your partner and you to be on the same page with what you're looking for and what you want. You get to choose. You yeah. really you really do get to choose. And I don't think it's any different than, you know, for a straight couple who's trying to find their partner in life, you are looking at aesthetic. You are looking at how tall that person is and what their eye color is. So why shouldn't we get that choice also? I think for us figuring out what those key ingredients were helped. And then we were able to kind of have fun with it and, yeah. and not have it be such a big weight on our shoulder. And your second kid was from the same sperm donor. We yeah. bought our sperm in bulk, which apparently is the only way sperm comes. So okay. I don't know if they, they still have it, but um, if you bought 10 vials, you got three years of storage free. So we took advantage of that and bought 10 vials so that we could, for us, that was something that was important was having the same donor for all of our yeah, kids. And we also at the time didn't know how fertile, like everyone has, you know, uh, can face anything when going through the process of, um, of fertility. And so we just didn't know, you know, was that it going to take one try or was it going to take three, eight. you know, exactly. Mm -hmm. So we were advised to, if, if having the same donor was that important to us, that we would want to err on the side of, okay, how many kids do you want at the most? And to multiply that by four or five tries. I mean, typically human beings are not built to reproduce very efficiently. We just, we don't, we're not rabbits. I mean, it's not how we're made. And even a hetero couple who's 30 years old in the prime of their fertility lives only really have a 15 to 20% chance at best of success in any given mm -hmm. cycle. And so as you go through an insemination process, you have to go in with those same numbers Right. And that really means that buying one vial doesn't guarantee anything. And so what we right. want to do is not only make sure you have enough vials to achieve that first pregnancy, but also if you decide later down the line that you want to have a second child and you want them to be full siblings related through the donor or half siblings because both partners are each going to uh, provide the egg source for one, but you want them to be related biologically through the donor, you have to store them and prepare for that. So we do offer special storage programs and we also offer to buy back unused vials that you have once your family journey is complete. And that way it sort of is a little insurance policy that you have in place. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, thank you all for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And congrats on your growing family, uh, Sydney and Britt Sharon. You can find them on social media at the Sharon Moms. Love that so much. And thanks again to Scott Brown uh, from California Cryobrank. We appreciate it. And guess what? You can start your search for donors today with a free level two subscription. Go to cryobank.com and use code channelq for free 90-day access to view extended donor profile files, childhood photos, adult photos, and express yourself items. California Cryobank dreams start here. We'll be back with more of Let's Go There right after this. Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Now, opening a restaurant for the homeless is this 10-year-old chef's big life goal, and she's Starting her dream, she started her YouTube channel, Zoe Gillis, when quarantine started in March, and now she's getting so much attention. Here she is sharing her story. I kind of had this big dream to have like a little food truck, um, and we go around and pick up homeless people or people who don't, who need food, and in the truck, there's like a shower and a place where you can, you know, get clothes, and we take them to the restaurant and they can get anything for free. I mean, I can't help but love these kids doing amazing things. Does it get your uh, your reproductive system working? Are you, are you yeah. ready to have some children on your own? I, I just want to have a kid that starts a YouTube channel and wants to change the world. 
Uh, it sounds like you just want a kid to pay your bills. That's what it sounds uh, like. Who said that? I yeah, because if your kid that. blows up on YouTube, you know, this is a, that's how what? I look at it. Having kids, it's honestly an investment plan. Get Put them to work as soon as possible. That um, or, or it drains you. <laughs> yeah. You spend all your money. <laughs> True, but if you put them to work as soon as possible, then they can't drain you because they're making their own money. I don't know, but True. I do like stories like this. It's, it's a very, it's very cute and um, this opening up a restaurant. Oh, I love that. She's probably like going to be like the next big chef of our time. Like this is, it's a good, it's a good life goal and puts things in perspective when you think about stuff like this too. I feel like when we were kids, like, do you ever remember having like someone that age that you were friends with who like already had a career goal in mind like that? Like, I just feel like it just wasn't like that when well, we were kids. I feel like when I was a kid, I felt pretty ambitious, like with what I would wanted to do. Like, I actually... Fun fact, I used to actually want to audition for those, like, uh, kid, like, talent show, like, yes. shows on TV shows all the time. Like, I remember, like, putting my me and my friends into, like, little groups and figuring, like, I was, like, setting up plans. I was essentially who I am today, but probably a lot more intense when I was younger. You um, wanted a boy group? Like, a singing group? Like, a singing group or, like, a talent okay. group of some sort. You know, like, I, I wanted to be a star, darling. Um, but... Um, it's well, that's a career. A star is a career. It's a career. It really is. And I, I love um, kids at a young age who just kind of get in. They know what they want. And I think this is incredible seeing her do that. And I also love the name Zoe. All right. Well, let's move on to another star and icon, Dr. Maya Angelou. She has been honored with a Barbie doll. Yep, Mattel, the maker of Barbie, made the announcement today as part of their Barbie-inspiring women's series, paying tribute to notable role models who encourage young people to dream big. Angela's Barbie is dressed in a head wrap and floor-length floral print dress, holds a miniature replica of her autobiography, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. That's incredible. Yeah, and it's $29.99. Um, speaking also about another American poet that's, I mean, Maya Angelou deserves, and I would love to see a television series about her life, but mm-hmm. um, I just finished watching um, a show on Apple TV Plus called Dickinson. It's about Emily, Emily Dickinson, and Haley Steinfeld oh. plays um, Emily, and it's such a great show. It's like a period piece, but told in a modern way, and I'm not sure if it's like, biographical but it is most definitely like just based off of her poems and it's just really well done so if you're into it check it out yeah thank you for that recommendation as always ryan and that does it for our yes queen of the day and our show today yes queen now coming up on tomorrow's show what biden and a democratic senate can actually do plus why you may spend weeks avoiding tasks that will take only 10 minutes to do why do we do that all of us I don't know, but we're going to get into that and ways to solve those issues on tomorrow's show. Plus, if you miss any of our shows, we post everything as a podcast. So just go to the radio.com app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. Join our podcast family, will you? We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Stay tuned for Loveline with Dr. Chris right after this. Have a great night.